several high points as we gather um, as one family. One is to worship God in song, to pray. Um, another high point is as we feed on his word. We believe here that if you're new or visiting, sorry, I should have said I'm Tim, I'm the vicar. It's really nice to see you. Welcome. Uh, we take the Bible seriously. We believe mysteriously. I, I can't explain it, but I just trust it. Uh, and I'll put a fair amount of my life on it, that God speaks through his word in a unique way. I think the works of Shakespeare are amazing, incredible insight into the human psyche. But it doesn't change lives in the way scripture does. And my role and responsibility, I'll stand before Jesus for this, because of the role I have here, is to unpack scripture faithfully, to kind of serve it up to you as a meal, so you can feed on it. And it, it, can, it can feed your mind, heart, soul, and equip you to live lives for Jesus. That's, that's the vision. So this is a high point as we sit under God's word uh, and his teaching. I, as I, you listen to me, don't, don't sort of think, oh, did he make that point well or has he got his syntax right? Listen to the Lord. Kind of try, I almost dial out from me so you hear the Lord speak to you this evening. Uh, another high point of our worship this evening, every third Sunday, is communion. And we're going to celebrate uh, that in remembrance of what Jesus did for us. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 6, if you're new or visiting or actually Christmas seems, that's maybe last term seems a long time ago, so maybe we all need a reminder that we're in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, some teaching that Jesus gave to his followers that's recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we're finding it revolutionary stuff. He's looking at the heart, at the unseen things in our lives. He, he uses this analogy of building a house on rock rather than sand. He's not really interested in the soft furnishings and the curtains and the stuff that's visible. He wants to know what is the house of your life built on? That's what he's getting at. For those of you who are South African, built on, is, that's built on, not, okay. <laughs> Verse six, <laughs> chapter six. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. For those of you who were here last week... Um, Cheryl, our church warden, was uh, just unpacking bits and pieces around this passage on, uh, if you just flick over chapter 6, verse 1, the acts of righteousness that Jesus is teaching about. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You notice that acts of righteousness is in inverted commas. It's, it's because the acts of righteousness, he's picking out fasting, praying, giving, were the kind of staples of um, a faith-filled religious life. We might say they're the staples of Christian living. These, these are just how you live as a Christian. We might include one or two others as well. 
But those are some of the staples. And he's keen, Jesus, to just to guard against this slide into hypocrisy that Cheryl was uh, bringing out last week. It's, it's when we actually live, we, we, we put up a mask, a Hippocrates, the, the actor, who put up a mask. And what Jesus is speaking about here is the, the capacity in all of our hearts to slide from reality and integrity and honesty, who we truly are, we slide into the mask and we become what is actually false. See, that's, that's what he means by hypocrite. We tend to, today, it's, it's a very loaded term, isn't it? If you're accused of being a hypocrite, that's a real insult. Isn't it? You hypocrite. Ooh, that hurts. We really don't want to be described as a hypocrite. And we kind of have this caricature. Do you know, we sort of picture, you know, the Pharisees and immediately, boo, it's like sort of pantomime, isn't it? Boo, they're the real, you know, the, the real baddies. Boo, hiss. And, um, and the, the Pharisees are the real hypocrites. Yeah, we want that to hurt. And it's, it's like they sort of, um, you know, like praying for others to see or giving their gifts ostentatiously. And we caricature it. It's a bit like, you know, do you know how I mean by Brian Blessed? The, you know, the, the, that great actor, great big beard. It's, we picture the sort of, you know, Brian Blessed giving my gifts so that everyone can see. And it's that kind of, you know, ostentatious. And, and it does, it just turns your stomach. Oh, no, no, no. And so we think, well, I'm not like that. But Jesus wants to get under... All of us. Not for Jesus. The, the hypocrite term isn't as loaded or as caricatured as that. Who's who's more important to us? The, these things. I, I, I wager pretty much every one of you's got one of these, and you're connected in some way to social media, and and you you put stuff out there in the public, and people go click like, click like. Click, like, 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 ooh. <laughs> we like you, Anna. Click, like. The, the science, though, there's science behind this. Uh, Simon Sinek has, has touched on this. It's a little thing that went viral over Christmas. But it's, it's established that there is a neural transmitter. There's a sort of chemical in your brain that, enc- that encourages being liked. It gives us a little hit, a little high. So when something good, when, when it's, it's kind of around good behavior or something that makes us feel good, and dopamine goes boom in your brain. And so it, what it does is it begins to train your brain. I like that. I'll do, what, what behavior was that? What was it I did that got that hit, that high? And dopamine is released. And the, so you, it becomes, actually it's at the heart of addiction. I see Lauren is here. Just, yeah. Lauren Windle is, uh, she's piloting and going to set up uh, a recovery course for those who experience addiction. And we, we, again, we may be caricature that as, oh, alcoholics or drugs. Well, I, I'm beginning to wonder whether I, I have got an addiction to social media. Because I just, I read the science and that's what's going on in my brain. And so I begin to think, oh, maybe I'll, I'm beginning to, the temptation, the pull to live my life according to what people will like. Others. That's a, isn't that, I mean, people say, oh, I don't know, isn't the Bible really relevant today? Are you kidding me? This is exactly what Jesus is teaching about. It, okay, there aren't temple courts and that kind of thing, but that I want to be liked by others more than I seek to be liked by my Father. That's what Jesus would describe as a hypocrite. I, 
I come before God in the secret place and I go, am I, am I a hypocrite? Genuine question. You don't need to answer. It's for me to wrestle with in the Lord. Am I a hypocrite? Am I, have I put up a little thing? Do I put up a, a little screen of Tim Stowell on, on social media and then subtly inhabit it? Rewarded by my own neurochemistry. Hmm. There's my little challenge among others. So Jesus says, when you pray, go into the secret place. Withdraw from those other things that, that seek to stroke us. Withdraw into the secret place. Your father who is unseen will see you in the unseen place. And you notice he says, he will reward you. He will reward you. It's quite a depth. If you explore that other reward, he says, um, it was last week really, I'm kind of encroaching some of that ground. But uh, those that do stuff in public, they've, he, Jesus says they've received their reward in full. Again, you know, you've got a few five minutes, you're on a journey home or something, you're just sort of scrolling through, you know, your thumb, you're exercising your thumb, scroll, 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 just say, oh yeah, like, click, fly, oh yeah, like, 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 like. How, how long, I mean, like, 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 a, a nanosecond, and then it's, I'm, I'm on to the next thing, I'm on to, and then something, I've put the phone away. I, I'm kind of, it's, it's a sort of, for me anyway, I don't know about you, but it's, it's just, you know, does it deeply register other people's things? They've received their reward in full. It lasts a nanosecond and it moves on. In the words of the hymn, riches I need not, nor man's empty praise. That the full reward is, it just doesn't last. Gone. Empty. But, but those who withdraw, those who go to the secret place, those who on their own seek the Lord, he will reward, he will reward in full. So Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the pagans. It's not about, it's not a prayerometer. It's not how eloquent you can be or how long you can pray. It's none of that. Don't be like them, he says. Verse 8. And then this intriguing phrase, don't be like the pagans, don't be like the hypocrites, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Huh. So Jesus is encouraging us to pray, but he tells us that your father knows what you need before you ask him. So, why pray? What's the point of praying if we come to God and he already knows what we need? And Jesus wants to tell us, as we just think about prayer for the next few minutes, Jesus wants to tell us that prayer is not primarily about bringing our needs to God. Because he already knows what you need. Jesus is telling us, and the clue is in what he comes on to teach, in that sort of, in the, the right-hand column on page 918, pretty much all the teaching, we'll look at it in the next few weeks, is about worry, about the things that make us anxious, about the things that spark insecurity in us, 
And Jesus is teaching us to withdraw to the quiet place, to be with the Father as an antidote to worry. Come to the Father, you alone, be with him, because he already knows what you need. You don't need to worry. Prayer, Jesus is teaching, is the antidote to worry. Just look across, we'll, we'll look at it in the next few weeks. But verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. True, isn't it? The more we have, the more we have to worry about. You, got a, you get a, a sort of great bit of kit, a new car, a second house. You've got to, oh, think of the insurance. Think of the, the you've got to, oh, the locks and the, all the passwords and all the, oh. acquiring stuff in our culture is, it's just a headache, isn't it? I love that we've, quite, we've been quite looking forward to stripped back. We don't have to worry about a whole load of other things in here. We just, let's just worship. <laughs> Simplicity, there's, there's something so appealing. Because we're so prone to worry, anxiety. God says, I already know what you need. I want you to come to me shorn of all that. Underlying all this, I'd love you, I mean, I put this out here. Tell me if you disagree after. But I think at the very root of sin is a core belief. The reason why we sin, in whatever direction we go away from God, it's because of a core belief. And if we can nail this belief, which is un, it's an unhelpful, it's a, it's a sort of a, a sinful belief. If we can nail this, we are well on the way to conquering sin. The core belief is this. God is not good enough. Now the enemy, will, the enemy would love to, to play with you, say God is good. He'll let us get away with God is good. We can sing God is good. God's good, God's good. But what he just subtly does is say, yeah, God's good. He'll let us get, with, get away with God is good, but he's not good enough. He'll take you so far. He'll provide so much. He'll believe in you to this extent, but not quite everything. He's not all sufficient. And we believe that lie. And when we believe that lie, we don't look to God because he's not all sufficient. So we'll look to others to shore up. Yeah, yeah, God for my identity, but I just checked my Facebook. Jesus is wanting to nail that core belief. When you come away in secret to the Father and find that he is all sufficient, he promises, because he already knows, that he has everything that we need. Not necessarily everything we might want, but he promises that he has everything that we need. Prayer leads us into falling into, leaning on, being immersed by the all-sufficiency of God. He is everything I need and he already knows what I need before I come to him in prayer. And it's in, it's in that context, that, against that background, that we come to pray how? Don't worry, I'm not going to go through the whole Lord's Prayer. I just want to take these first two lines and maybe you can uh, do your own study on the rest. This then, he says, verse 9, is how you should pray. Number one, our Father. 
our Father. The God of the universe. The one true living God who was before all time, who will be before, uh, at the end of all time. Who is outside of our time, who is outside of our, our mental grasp. This holy God, this pure God, this righteous God. And Jesus says, we can call him Father. Prayer is the grasp that Jesus gives us access to the Father. What a privilege. We have access to God as Father. I, I recognize that for many of us in this room, we, we, we have a less than perfect experience of our, of our earthly fa Father. It may be there, statistically, there'll be people in this room who, who maybe don't even know who their Father is. You've perhaps had a negative or an abusive experience of your Father here on earth. We are, we're all of us, we all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus invites us to see God as our perfect, all-sufficient, loving, heavenly Father. And Jesus gives us access to him. I love the story. I, I can't remember where I first heard it. It may have been a sort of alpha talk or something, so many of you may well have heard this, but it's perhaps worth the retelling. In, in the American Civil War, uh, there's a soldier conscripted to the Unionist Army fighting the... the sort of breakaway southern states, mid-19th century. And uh, his wife is desperately ill. And he's, he's desperate just to have leave of absence from serving on the front line in order to be with his, his dying wife. And he tries all the subnormal army bureaucracy and they've no way, no way, he can't do it. And he's so desperate, he thinks, I, I will go to the president himself. I will go to the, the, the chief commander, commander-in-chief of the armed forces. So he goes and makes his way to the White House. And he gets to the outer perimeter gates and, and there's a burly sort of um, sentry there with a musket or whatever. And uh, it's just no way. He's not even getting, he's, he's just brushed away. And the guy, he's so sort of broken and he just goes and finds a bench and he just sits down, he just puts his head in his hands. And a young lad walks past and sees the desperate man and as, as innocent young children will, just says, what's the matter? And so the soldier explains his plight. And he says, yeah, I can't even get in. I, I've, no, I've no hope. I'm going to probably you know, miss being with my wife. She's probably going to die. And the little boy says, why don't you come with me? And there's something about that invitation. Uh, just the innocence is loud. And he says, what have I got to lose? So he follows the boy. And to his amazement, he goes, like, the boy walks straight up to the guard where he's just been on this outer perimeter fence. And the guard steps to one side and opens the gate. And the boy, without even saying anything, just walks through. A soldier follows him. And they go through to uh, other doorways, other securities, various layers of security in, in, the, in the whole White House complex, into the White House itself, marching through corridors where the soldier can begin to feel the power. And at every turn, there are sort of uh, administrators and bureaucrats and, and security people who just step aside, just nod, and let the boy go through. The boy just, well, he doesn't break step, he just walks. He knows exactly where he's going. Soldier, kind of running to keep up to the doors of the Oval Office itself. Two people stationed either side of the door. They step aside and open the door. The boy just walks in to the Oval Office. And there is the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And he's in earnest conversation with one of his chief of staff. And in mid-sentence, 
the President of the United States of America breaks off, looks at the boy and says, Yes, my son, what do you want? And the boy, without batting an eyelid, says, Father, this man would like to speak with you. Access. Access. And on a far greater scale, and to a far greater reality, and with far greater effect, Jesus is teaching us that when we go to the secret place to be with the Father, we have access. Our Father. Our Father. As a, as a parent, ask any parent, you, you, you know how delicious it, it, delicious it is just to have your children's attention. When they're young and dependent, you kind of get that a lot. Sometimes you kind of want to have a bit of space. When they're older, uh, our guys are all kind of grown up now, and I, oh, if I just had 30 seconds. <laughs> they, they know where my wallet is. <laughs> I, they've got all sorts of, oh, dad, can you this? Mum, can you this? Dad, uh, needs. They've got a list of needs. I'm sure that I don't, obviously I want to meet their needs. That's not what I'm priorly it's not what I'm concerned about as a parent. I just, I just want them. If it's just a chat over the dinner table or cheeky beer with my son now, or whatever it might be. Just how are you? How are you? How is your heart? How's your mind? What's on, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? It's how it is with our Father. And Jesus gives us access to the Father. He just, do, don't bring your needs. The reason why Jesus says your father already knows what you need, he doesn't, it's not that he's not interested in your needs. Don't bring your needs, bring yourself, bring you into that quiet place. Shorn of distraction, whatever it is at work, whatever you've got to sort out at home, whatever it is in that relationship, all those things, they're important. I mean, bring them to the father, but, but first bring yourself to the father because we have access through Jesus. Secondly, our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. If, if uh, our Father is intimacy, think of our Father in heaven. Think of the power. In 1977, 20th of August, Voyager 2 was launched, uh, ostensibly launched into space to go and collect as much data from the outer planetary system as it could. It, was, it travels at around about 90,000 miles an hour. It reached Neptune on the 28th of August, 1989, some 12 years later. It's 2,700 million miles from Earth. And it's calculated that it's still several light years away from the nearest stars. Our sun, the sun in our solar system, it's calculated that one square meter of the sun emits energy equal to 130,000 horsepower. vastness of the universe, the power of the universe. Arguably the greatest throwaway line in the whole of literature is in Genesis chapter 1. He made the stars also. Our Father in heaven. And you've got a deadline looming. Or this relationship isn't going so well. Or you're worried about your next move. And as we 
as we trust that God knows what we need, and as we come to our Father who loves time with us, our Father in heaven, can you see how Jesus is inviting us to to, to exercise that muscle of trust, to lean into God with whatever it is that's on our hearts or our minds. Our Father in heaven. Thirdly, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Uh, an old English word, hallow, for, for praise. Praised be your name. When we come into the Father's presence, when we appreciate his intimacy and his power, his imminence and his transcendence, as the theologians would say, the first thing Jesus invites us to do is to praise him. Now again, those of you who've got nephews and nieces or your, maybe your school teachers, you, you know, often part of the armory is, is praise, as sort of encouragement. You know, we want to encourage these little ones. You're so good at running. You're so good at drawing. Oh yeah, you're so good at science, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is we, we, we are kind of the, we're the superior beings. We're the sort of more knowledgeable, normal, wise, more experienced. And we're trying to sort of call forth these little saplings. Um, through praise and encouragement. So he kind of, Jesus teaching us here to say, to praise God. Is it because is it God needs encouragement? Come on, guy, you could do it. I know it's a big universe, but. <laughs> no. <laughs> praise isn't for his benefit. Praise is for our benefit. Jesus teaches us to hallow his name because it's good for us. Little, little uh, exercise. Just uh, not, not now, don't worry. But like in the next time you're in a, a group, life group, prayer trip or whatever, uh, and we often lump these two things together, praise and thanksgiving. We say, let's have a time of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, notice, little game, notice how quickly praise slides into thanksgiving. Notice how hard it is to praise. Praise is just a declaration of the fact that the whole of the created order is harmonious, good, full of joy. It brings, it emits peace. There is a sense of connectedness, of wholeness in God's intended created order. We look around the world today and we see it broken in all sorts of ways. That's, yeah, that's the impact of human sin. But underneath it, the, the creation is good. God is good. And praise is simply calling that out, speaking it out, declaring it. It's interesting how, how quickly we slide. We, we, we run out very quickly of things to, to just declare to God about God. So when we slide in, we say, oh God, you're amazing. And thank you so much for... Ah. See, when we thank, nothing wrong with thanking, but we become the center of reference. Oh God, thank you that I noticed this, or I've received that, or we see, see, we, we subtly become the center of reference. It's a good thing to thank, it shows appreciation. But it's not the same as praise. Praise is totally centered on him. It's totally focused on him. I, it just shows me, I get out of the way when I just, I just tell you how good you are, how noble you are, how faithful you are. They're all attributes, they're qualities. Without any direct reference to self it's good to praise 
it's good to practice praise. Watch yourself. I watch myself. I constantly slide into thanksgiving. Uh, thank you for all the things I have, all the things I see. It's kind of, hmm. See if you can have a little a, a group when you're in your life group. Say, okay, we're going we're gonna to clear some space for praise. See if out loud you can praise, just praise, for 90 seconds. It's a good thing to do. Praise is not for him, it's for us. Praise kind of reorients our worldview. Praise is like a telescope. You know, when you look for a telescope, big things become nearer. So, so things that are sort of planets and stars and all that are miles away. You look for a telescope, whoa, it comes right into our consciousness. Praise does that. God is big, he's always big. He's, he's massive, he's there, he's ever-present. Praise brings him into our world. It, it awakens our consciousness of God. Praise kind of connects our tiny little stream with his great current. So that we flow, with a, we flow into his current. Our lives make sense. Our lives connect with him and with one another. That's released in praise. Praise releases joy. We're not designed to be the center of the universe. We weren't created that way. We're created to be loved by the one who is at the center of the universe. That's what fulfills us. But when we push God to the margins, it kind of self abhors a vacuum. Someone will step in that place. And it, the sinful self, it'll be me. But I'm not created to be at the center of the universe. It's, it's good when I, when I just put myself, as it were, to the periphery, to the margins, and I focus on the one who is at the center of the universe. It establishes the way in which we've been created. It's good for us to praise him. That's why Jesus teaches. Our Father, access to God. In heaven, all his riches, all his armory, all his strength, all his power. Hallowed be your name. I know my place. You are God. And I'm beloved by you. I'm empowered by you. I'm inspired by you. I can, I can change the world, but not in the kind of psychobabble of today, like, yeah, we can all change the world. I can change the world in him and with his strength and by his might. Praise be his name. Praise consummates trust. But it basically says, I trust that you are God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I'll pause there on the Lord's Prayer. Let me just say as a footnote um, before we come into communion. One final benefit is this teaching. It seems quite hard, doesn't it? Verse 14 and 15. I, I feel like I can't ignore it. And uh, I think the way in which the, we translate the English and the way we read this uh, maybe doesn't help us because we read it as a kind of condition. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it sounds, oh goodness. Uh, it sounds like a sort of you know, conditional threat. But to be honest, I think it probably helps if we read it just as a description rather than a condition. It, because, because we know that God's... The ultimate supreme act of God's salvation 
in sending Jesus to the cross, he's dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again, is that God has once for all dealt with sin. There is full forgiveness. Jesus' death on the cross was, was real. It's, a, it's, it's attested in history by non-Christian historians. There isn't a credible historian today who, who won't tell you that there was a figure in history called Jesus who died a horrific death, probably, almost certainly, crucifixion. That's just the fact. How you interpret that is. But as Christians, we interpret that as God's great act. The cross was real. And, and Jesus' last breath as he hung on the cross, it is finished. The debt is paid. Forgive us our debts, Jesus teaches us to pray, as we also have forgiven our debtors. How are we able to forgive our debtors? It's because our debt has been paid. It is finished. So it's not so much, Bertram, wake up. <laughs> it's not so much. <laughs> Sorry, it's just fairly obvious. Snore. It's not so much, you know, will I forgive if others forgive? God has forgiven us. And because God has forgiven us, his forgiveness flows through out into others. Jesus told a story in Matthew 18 about a, a, a servant who had a massive debt. He was let off the debt, a massive debt, thousands of pounds. And then he went to one of his servants who owed him just a few pence. And he wouldn't let him off the debt. You have to pay it. Otherwise, I'll take you to court. And the first guy says, hey, wait a minute. I let you off thousands. How come you're not letting him off a few pence? Don't you understand what you've received? Don't you understand what you've experienced? This, this is the Christian gospel. If you don't forgive others, it, it really calls into question whether you yourself know your forgiveness. It really calls into question whether you know the gospel. Jesus Christ. So forgive others because you've been forgiven. It's central to the Christian faith. All this other stuff about giving, about fasting, about praying. If we don't know the forgiveness that God through Jesus brings, we won't unlock and unleash all that God has for us. The good and beautiful life. A life built on the rock. A life that gives glory to our Father in heaven. Amen.